Hello, and welcome to episode 131 of Just Keep Writing. A podcast for writers. Bye, writers. To keep you writing. I'm Marshall. I'm Nick. I'm Brent. And I'm Will. And joining us this week, again, to be grilled about his amazing novella, uh, Necessary Chaos, is Brent Lambert. Welcome back, my friend. How you doing? Woo! I'm good. Woo! Fresh from Europe, so I'm back. Yeah. Fresh from your trip, fresh from another yeah, yeah. event we're going to talk about, too, which yes, I'm excited. Yeah. You got all the things, Brent. I'm stoked for yeah. you, man. Nick, let's go to you first before we get to Brent, um, because you have a NaNoWriMo update for our listeners. Oh, yes, I do. So if you haven't caught on yet to our Instagram or even our Discord channels here, we're posting almost daily videos right now at 3 p.m. Eastern time for writing tips, self-care advice, and encouragement videos. So we're doing that because we know the struggle that goes into being on Zen, not Zencaster, but on NRMO and writing stuff and the pressure that comes with it. Um, some of us have really good friends. Some of us don't. So we're here to help support you guys in those times. Uh, hop in our Discord, though. Our channel has gotten a lot more followers recently. New people added to the system here. Um, what really helps with that is is you guys are picking those new people up and guiding them and running your own write-ins and things like that for the month. It's been really, really helpful. Um, but this is like the best place to go in and interact with us and give us episode feedback that we need and everything like that, too. So I highly encourage jumping on Discord. We're going to have a couple more write-ins this month. Um, if you haven't found us on Instagram, you can find the link down below in the show notes here um, to join us. Um, but also know that like, during this month, we are open to questions via social media, Discord, emails, things like that. Um, we're, we're happy to help out in any way, shape, or form on that one. And you were going to mention um, you had a convention coming up that a lot yes. of our community is actually really into because... A lot of our friends yeah. are also Dragonsteel folks. So what you got? Yeah. So Dragonsteel is Dragonsteel 2023 is coming up here next week, actually, November 20th and 21st. I will be there the whole time, as you guys probably know as well. The Reading crew is going to be there as well. Um, so you'll be able to see us, see them. I know that there's going to be enough listeners there at this show already. And supporters of our show that we're probably going to have like a just keep writing dinner um, to where we can get together, hang out and talk for a little bit and kind of let me caveat to writing excuses is doing a whole bunch of episodes this month as well around NaNoWriMo. Then they're kind of tying into a lot of what we're talking about as well. Um, so check out their episodes. They're as of this coming Sunday, they're going to be three episodes deep into that one. And they're really good. Check their socials too. Um, we're, we're kind of working in tandem here a little bit, um, sharing some of the similar, similar information and things like that. But if you guys are going to be in Utah and Salt Lake and you're going to be at Dragon Steel, hit me up on discord, shoot me an email or a message on Instagram. Uh, we'd love to connect with anybody and everybody that's there. And then maybe, you know, have a little drink or dinner. Nice. Nobody caught the wink that Nick did on the video feed, but, uh, (laughs) <laughs> I can attest that the that the writing excuses episodes are awesome. I was the recording engineer when they made them. Um, that core cast right now, the five of them are amazing. So definitely check out their episodes and say hi for to them for me when you see them at Dragon's Tale. So you guys might be wondering, man, I wonder what Just Keep Writing is putting out. 
this month. Hey, I wonder where I can catch these guys. They keep announcing that they're going to do cool stuff like be at cons, have a signing in LA that I missed. Well, never fear. You guys, we have a newsletter. This newsletter is going to give you just that. It's going to tell you what we're doing, what's going on, current publications for us, things from our community that we put out. Uh, Like we have a standing spot for two-hour transport who hosts a wonderful write-in once a month. Um, Love those guys over there. Uh, But sign up for a newsletter by going to our website, and you can find out all the hot gossip about us, a.k.a. what do we have publishing, where you could find Brent and his amazing signings that he's going to be at that we'll talk about here in a minute. Um, and then also where you can find us if we're going to be on in any con spaces and things like that. So get signed up. It goes out the first Friday of every month. Um, it's, you know, just a fun way to stay in touch. And if you have anything in your part of our community, okay, you listen to this show and you want something to be included, like a book release or anything like that, or a short story publication, poetry, anything like that, Shoot that out over to me. You can find my email down below for that, and I'll get that added in the newsletter. I'll just pull the information from you there. But looking forward to get a few more signed up on this and get looking at it. Uh, so, Nick, Will, sorry, Will, I'm going to turn it over to you briefly. I'm going to ask the first questions when we get to Brent's interview, but you had something else you wanted to bring up, Brent-related. Yeah, Brent, tell us about your first signing. Okay, uh, so I had my first book signing in um, West Hollywood, California. It was at Book Soup, which is actually it's a very cool uh, bookshop. It's it has so many books, um, and I did an event for the horror anthology I'm in, um, All These Sunken Souls. I was with Cersei Moskowitz, who um, she's the one who kind of put the anthology together. And I was also with Ryan Douglas, who is uh, an L.A. resident now. I think he used to live in Atlanta. So, um, yeah, we all got to do a little discussion. It was cool. Uh, for my first one, you know, I was—I honestly didn't want a huge crowd. I'm glad it was, like, a small set of people. Like, that felt way more comfortable to me because I was extremely nervous and one of my uh, best friends actually like Venmo me money to go get a drink because he was like, you need to calm down. So, uh, <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, it was cool. I enjoyed it. And, um, yeah, I really had a, I, I really had a good time. Okay. Well, tell us a little bit more about it. Like, um, did you get to read something from the book? No. And I was glad for that, too. I did not want to read out loud. Um, we just kind of talked to each other about, like, you know, what um, – what got us into horror, like what some of our favorite horror narratives were, what were some tropes that, you know, we we uh, liked about horror. And then we kind of talked a little bit about like um, what makes uh, black horror a little different from uh, mainstream horror. And yeah, so we kind of bounced around and talked about some topics like that. And we even talked about a couple of um, Jordan Peele movies and our opinions on them and Got a little discussion about that stuff. So, yeah. Were there any questions that the crowd threw out at you that you were like, oh, that's a good question? Yeah, that, that, the question about what makes black horror different from mainstream horror was an audience question. So, that's yeah, awesome. that was, yeah, yeah. Cause, uh, and talk to me about the audience that actually showed up to the signing. Were, was everyone primarily um, black or was it like a nice, nice mix 
group of people. Nice mix. I mean, um, my one of my best friends and his partner came up, and uh, you know, Mexican Filipino. Uh, yeah, it was mostly people of color there. Um, surprisingly, which is funny because Ryan's friends with him. Uh, Keith Boykin showed up, and I was like, "Wait!" I was like, "I know this man." And um, for those who don't know, Keith Boykin uh, was uh, a liaison for the White House uh, during the Clinton years. So uh, yeah, so that was kind of cool. I was like, "Oh, see, this is the kind of shit I talk about with LA. You never know who will pop <laughs> up at these things." But um, yeah, yeah. So it was a, it was a mostly POC crowd, but you know. Um, I think it was the better for it, like because you could just have like a, I think a more authentic discussion. But I'm curious about the signing itself. Like, how did it feel being an author signing things for people? Um, okay, I don't so know if you've done it, it was, before, but I've never done it. Well, I've, I mean, I've done it like you know, sending the novella yeah. off to like people or yeah. like you know, friends who asked. But for like signing for people, I didn't know. Um, and it was. Honestly, the thing is, that, and I'm just like so focused on trying to make sure my signature for signing books is different from my signature for signing other shit. Because that is just something I've seen like stress over and over again. It's like, told them, make sure your signature is not the same. So I was like more so like, okay, do this little thing differently. Do this little thing differently. Um, but it was cool. It, 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 it was kind of nice being asked by the bookstore like, hey, can you guys sign our stock or whatever? So yeah, we signed... Um, yeah, like I guess like ten copies on decks. We all just signed the copies they had or whatever. So, That's yeah, cool. I mean, it, it. I don't think because I'm bad about this. I don't think I. Um, the significance of an event doesn't really always hit me right away until like much later. Like you know, I know this is a big deal. I know it's my first signing, but I have. I think, and, and despite some, I just need to work on in general. Just taking the time to like breathe in the moment i was more just like okay got through it Whew. like you know it wasn't so much of a um wow this is a really big thing i don't think that hit until um it hits before for me i think i think that's what i'm starting to realize it's like the significance of the thing hits me emotionally before the thing happens then once the thing happens i'm kind of like ah, okay it's over with so what was your biggest takeaway from doing your first signing after you were finished so um you never know, like, I guess who can show up to one of those things. And like, you never, you can never know, like, I guess what impact you may or may not have on someone. So, uh, so yeah. And, um, I guess my other takeaway too, though, is that like, I think unless you're like a really, really big author, you're probably not going to move a bunch of copies at a book signing. Which is fine. You know, I think sometimes I think if you view it more as like engagement and putting yourself out there and getting to know like booksellers and whatnot is more organic in that fashion. But it's not necessarily going to move a bunch of books for you. Um, any other questions about the signing? We I could ask more, but we can get to the other stuff because this is why we're here. This is why we're here. All right. So let's get to the meat of the episode here. Uh, we have Brent back, of course. We're going to talk about his novella, Necessary Chaos, from Neon Hemlock. And I'm going to throw the first question out there, and it may or may not surprise Brent. But we are going to focus on more world building and characters this time around. And there is going to be some spoilers. So keep that in mind if you haven't bought the book yet, which, how dare you? Buy the book, read it. But 
be aware there are going to be some spoilers um, in this episode. So, Brent, will you tell us, tell your listeners, tell us, uh, describe the world building of a necessary chaos in three words? Um, ooh. <laughs> okay, I knew I was uh, going to get him. <laughs> all right. Once again. <laughs> well, because I was like, world, I mean, okay, fine. World Got him. Uh, Come on, it's our thing, dude. We gotta get you. Yeah, somehow. yeah, yeah. I know. I should have. I should have seen this coming. Um, I would say corporate, uh, capitalists, and underground. Ooh, those be my three words. All right. Uh, now you know what comes next. Talk to us about corporate. I'm yeah. putting them in the chat. Yeah, break each one down. So, yeah. um, corporate. So, uh, I wanted to um, have something that kind of stood in for America and how um, it's so much of how it runs itself is like a business, but in the worst kind of way. Like in the worst kind of way. Like. And um, everyone is a commodity. Everything's a resource, and 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 there's there's uh, this bureaucratic hierarchy, which you see with the uh, Amos Morbine Compact, which is one of the uh, empires per se in the story or whatever. They're very like the uh, yeah, they just are. I, I don't I don't think anyone reading it would um, disagree. Like it, it I mean, I, I created it to kind of be just like. Uh, an America, a mirror at America, in a way. So makes sense. Uh, yeah, and in capitalists, I wanted to show like how that how that one that one nation could uh, could create so much damage through this need to want more and more resources, and you see it in like how like. It, it um it's two competitors have the same mentality of like absorbing absorbing more territories absorbing more people um even in the magic itself the magic itself is like almost this uh this capitalist thing where it's like we we don't have enough here so we're gonna go find other dimensions where we can pull out more from almost like how you see like people when they talk about like oh if we can just get to this asteroid everybody will be billionaires and it's like Damn, you can't even leave space alone. Like you got to go out there for something too. So, um, yeah, I was trying. I was trying to um, think about like what what happens when you just like keep consuming and consuming and consuming, and like what that does to does to a world. And then underground, um, I would say that's more so just kind of like cosmetic, I guess the word. Cause like a lot of it like feels like I try to like keep it feeling like, you know, a little, I guess a little John wiki in terms of like, you know, how like they'll be in like these, uh, they'll be in these like fancy nightclubs or they'll be in like these grimy cities or these like, you know, exotic locations or whatever. And they're doing, they're trying to do cool shit in it. So, um, yeah, yeah. I think that that one's more like an aesthetic. That, that one's not as deep, but yeah, that, that was kind of the, vibe i was shooting for well and also like what you said about having what you know the fact that you wanted underground feel is the aesthetic right because that was yeah. kind of the vibe of of the world right and i and i hear what you're saying when it comes to like john wick where everybody's like it's slick and glossy and 
pretty cool, right? All the yeah, people yeah, there yeah, are cool, yeah, right? Yeah. Um, I, I dig that. Um, I'm curious. Uh, does anybody want to add to that before I build on this one? Because I was, I, I had a thought. Okay. Um, so my thought about this is when you have these kind of big ideas, right? You're you're trying to mirror America. Um, you're trying to keep a vibe to it, but you're also writing a novella, right? So what is the considerations for world building in a novella versus a novel? Cause you do have novels in the work as well. Right. So how do you approach, how did you approach this novella differently than you are your novels, for example? Well, in the beginning, not great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, fair enough. <laughs> not great. Like, I mean, I, 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 this was, this is something I had to, I think I had to discover about my process overall and just, in any story I create, and I've had to just accept that this is who I am. I throw every damn idea out there. Just it's like the kitchen sink and and the neighbor's kitchen too. And it's like you know I have to like. And I, at first I was like, why am I doing that? Like why do I do that? But it's what gets me through a draft. So if I have to. I just have to accept that that's what gets me through a draft. And then um. I have to contract. So even with the novel that like I'm trying to like work on revising now, it's like there's a lot of contraction happening, a lot of things being cut, combined, you know, um, just figuring out like what's actually essential. So when I first drafted uh, A Necessary Chaos, it, it, it was chaotic. It was uh, it, it definitely lived up to its title. So um, Dave was so nice. He was just like a lot of cool ideas. But we definitely are going to have to, like, you know, pull back. And, um, yeah, so I think it was it was a process. For me, for me, at least, my process is very much, like, I just got to, like, just throw whatever ideas I'm thinking about on the page, push through to the end, and then go back later and chop it up. So I don't know if that's the ideal process for everyone because it does involve a lot of, like, you know, the editing process is a, is a bit rougher just because you have to kind of like, there is so much paring down you have to do. And yeah, so. Well, I like the idea, especially since we're talking about, we're in NaNoWriMo as well. I like the idea of throwing everything at the wall and just letting it live and then figuring out what you can't deal with rather than try to figure out, well, I'm only writing a novella or I'm writing only writing a short story, so maybe I shouldn't include x y and z when maybe x y and z might work but if you don't throw it on the page then you won't figure out whether it works or not and then you can always cut it and yeah and and that's how i feel like i'm just like you know and i guess another aspect of it for me too is that i don't know if this is going to be my last book i don't know if it's going to be my next book i mean you know of course you always hope like yeah you want a career you want more books you want more stories to tell but i don't know that so because I don't know that, I'm just going to put my all in there and, you know, and then we can I, then we can chop it up later and figure out. Because the thing is, it's like you you don't have to, like, not use something in the future once you cut it. Like, I keep a cut file. I just like as I was cutting ideas out, cutting characters out, cutting things out, I would just be like, OK, well, drop it in this cut file. If I want to come back to it later at some point. I will. Or if I'm ever like struggling and I need an idea for something, I got this whole little chop and screw file over here. But yeah. I I guess for me, I just feel like I I believe in like 
uh, I don't know if maximalism is the word or maybe I'm not smart enough to know if that's the word or not, but <laughs> I, like I just believe in like not holding back and like I always say this online. I'm like, if you can be weirder in the story, just be weirder. Just go for it. So that's my philosophy. I like it. Nick. Yeah. So world building question, a kind of caveat on, onto this one, right? The world building between a novella and a novel, we always look at, you know, or at least see the diagram of world building being like an iceberg, but listening to describe how you do world building, I don't hear that. Right. I don't feel like you're doing like the iceberg thing. I feel like you're putting as much as you can into it and then reshaping it to what you need. Um, on that one. So can you kind of talk to me a little bit about traditionally how we've been taught how to world build versus what you actually do? So, okay, this is probably where I sound like a psycho that like even in that first draft, even though there was a lot in there, there was still so much I I like created that never touched it either. So there was definitely an iceberg. It's just that the tip of my iceberg is like, God, this is going to go somewhere. This is really, really... The tip of the iceberg that I'm writing is just really, really big. That's all. And it's like there's a huge, like, continent-sized iceberg underneath or whatever. So, <laughs> like, I'm still doing that. It's just that I don't know how to, like, I don't know how to, like, contain it or, or to shrink that or to, like, you know, be be um small in my approach. Like, after the novella, I literally tried to write another one and purposely be like as bare bones with world building as I could. And I just got bored. Like I was bored before I even hit 5,000 words on it. So I, this is what I mean when I was saying like I just had to learn like, okay, this is my process. I, I, I'm not going to be able to get away from it. If I if I want to finish a draft, then this is how I got to approach it. But yeah, like I'm... Like when I'm, oh, I'm always world building, like even as I'm writing a story, even even as I'm like, you know, trying to get the draft done. So there's like, there's so much that I end up creating and not using, but it's what I need to like, kind of like, I guess, power me through to the end. So um, I still do the iceberg thing for sure. I think mine's is just like, it's just on a bigger scale, maybe because uh, there's always so much like I don't ever put into a story, even with the necessary chaos, like. Can yeah. I give another analogy? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Go for it. Yeah. I think you put a whole buffet spread and then you pick what you need to, to add to your plate. Um, and I only say, and I say this and I'll, I'll jump into the next question too, but you and I got to work on a project together um, for the world of Juno. And we did some um, building of the gods, right? And I felt like working on that project, that was... I don't feel like, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong on this one. I don't feel like we did an ice book approach to that. I felt like we threw everything on the table and then pulled what we needed to pull on that one and worked that way. And that, it, like, yeah. can you talk between, like, because that is a short story anthology. Can you talk a little bit about the difference that went into that project together and then what you did for this one? Yeah, so I feel like with Juno, I guess it was... um I think you're right. I didn't really have an iceberg because it wasn't my iceberg to begin with. I think it was more so I was like, yeah, that's oh, right. Uh, it was like a, it was like a, you know, I got tugboat to, um, to, uh, someone's iceberg and they're like, okay, pick off what, 
pick off what I'm asking you to pick off and then um, bring it back to me. That's kind of what, you know, so it wasn't really my, like, it wasn't my iceberg to claim. So I think with that one, it was more like, I, I was like, okay, give me the parameters of what you, of what you're looking for. And I'll try to create something within those parameters. And, you know, I, and I, whereas I feel like with my worlds, like, I don't, I, I, yeah, I'm, I'm always like, I have to like stop myself at a point and be like, okay, you got it right. Like, and, and I think, I think for me, at least I, I've gotten better at it. Like I've gotten better at like, you know, being like, okay, Brent quit. Like if y'all had saw like back when I was in college, I had this one fantasy novel thing that like, I literally had <laughs> stupid out. I'm like thinking it out loud. I had, I, I made this world map. That was nine sheets of paper big. Like I literally would lay out the sheets like three oh, by three, it. <laughs> and it was like gigant- this gigantic, implausibly big fucking world. Why? But um, that that's the kind of level I used to be at. So I think I've actually contained myself quite a bit from those days. But uh, yeah, I, I, get, I get what you mean, Nick. I think the difference was that with the anthology for Juno was very much like a prescribed like. Okay, here's the parameters. Because some of it was already built, right? So it was almost like, not like fan fiction in a way, but it kind of was in a way. It was like, okay, this this well, this this world's yeah, it, the world of Juno, like that is a shared collection, right? That's a shared world that we just kind of contributed to, right? Right. And I think that's different than like me building my own MCU or whatever. My Devon Sanders, he always would make this joke about like um about my work. He was like, Yeah, Brent starts at Infinity War and then goes from there. <laughs> <laughs> and so I yeah, like so that. that's like that's definitely something like that made I think a novella a little bit challenging for me too. Is just because like it is such a smaller space. And I and I will say that like I'm not reading all my reviews, trust me, I'm not. But the one the one thing I have seen that has kind of been a commonality is like people have been like, I wish this had been a novel. Like, you know, like I think people for better or worse wanted a little more. So um yeah. So again, I I'm, well, I'm sure y'all probably got more mm, questions about that, but yeah. we, we we do. We do. I'm gonna yeah, move I know. On. I have so I'm gonna I'm gonna stop. I have more comments on that. Like, yeah. Um so you know, going off of what we just asked about, right? Like Let's talk about pantsing versus outlining and what it was like for you in this process. Like, I, cause we know back in, right. There was a lot of things going on in your life at the time. A lot of things that you did work through on this one. Talk to us about like the pantsing versus outlining, um, for this work for you. Okay. I am not a pantser. There's just no real, I, if I had to say like what my degree of, um, I don't know. Actually, I shouldn't say that because it varies from project to project. There are there is some degree of like I have to know certain things. So being a true pantser, absolutely not. That's just not like something I could do. And 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 I don't think and that's not putting down pantsing. I just don't think it would be a good idea for me because even with yeah. all the plotting and outlining I do, there's still points where I go, oh, I'm just gonna add this in, or I'm gonna add that in. So if I was to be a pantser, I would probably be adding. So many things. It just would become this unwieldy draft. Well, so now I have to know. Truth be told, I don't believe pantsing means you never plot anything out, though. I will say that. Um, but yeah, I, no, I, I, I don't. 
I don't like it's the hard. pure definitions of either one anyway. Like I believe most people, if they're being honest with themselves, they are some mix of the two to varying percentages or whatever. Because like one thing I, I, I'll definitely say with this one, um, I felt a little bit of pressure. So I, I definitely like outlined the whole damn thing at first. And then like I sent it to people and had them read the outline, give me feedback on the outline. Then I made some more tweaks and and it and that outline is nothing like this final book, like at all. Like there's there's <laughs> there's more characters, there's uh the, there's a couple of different twists that happened that didn't even touch this book. Like, yeah, so so um I think if anything, if anything, that outline I made was almost a zero draft in a way. Like it, it uh, and you know, it kind of like helped me get my head around like what I wanted to say with it when I actually did start drafting. So yeah, I, that I guess that would probably be the one thing I would say too. It's like even though I'm an outliner, I'm not one of those people who is like anally married to the outline. It's like it just will not change, and I'm gonna write to this outline no matter what. Like I'm more than willing to be like, okay, that plot point's not working. Let's let's <laughs> chuck it or. You know, or hey, this is a cool idea. I'm just gonna throw it in here. So, I like that. Will go for it. Well, let's talk about the world building of the two characters, right? Like you're having this rebel um, faction, or that are considered rebels, and then you have this other faction. You know, one. How did you come up with it? You know, like were there real life events? Or real life, you know, looking in history that kind of made you create that type of tension between those two factions. And how much of it did you leave out? Okay, so um, this act, so the foundation of these two characters are um, the seed, the, the seed of it is in a lot of ways the. Um, some of the some of the tensions that like me and my ex had with each other and how we you know felt like we approached the world and how the world approached us about things so uh my this is my ex back in georgia so like you know um he was very much like fuck the man i burn it all down like you know he had been he had been hurt by the system in many many ways and at the time myself, I was, you know, this college educated grad, you know, like working for a corporation, um, had, you know, similar views, but I, I think I, I will say, I, I think I'm much more radical now than I was then, but, um, you know, uh, just, just trying to get by type thing. So, and like, I think we, me and him would just have, there was, there was always that underlying tension. And I think you kind of see it if you actually look at like, I think the black community, when you see like this, uh, when you see the middle class and then, you know, people who are, are very much not in the middle class and the tensions that exist between those two. So I will say that was um, not so much a direct like one to one comparison, obviously, but there was a seed of that in this, you know, dealing with like the uh, the guy who who tries to operate within the system and the guy who is completely and totally against it. Um, so that that's where some real world real life, I guess, uh, symbolism came into it. 
um, for now. Also, though, I, like I said, Mister and Mrs. Smith was always like in my in the back of my head as an inspiration for this too. So um, you know, I wanted to uh, like I love the fact that like at least to me, Angelina Jolie's character felt way more like of the of the rebellious one than um, Brad Pitt's character. Like, I, I just, I thought it was cool how she just, um, I don't know, she had a swag about her compared to his character that I always thought was a little, like, a little more, um, a little, yeah, a little more rebellious. So, uh, that, that kind of, like, was definitely a seed that played, too. And then, um, there's the, uh, there's the Final Fantasy inspiration, you know, um, definitely, uh, seven and eight kind of, like, blended in a little bit here. Like, you know, uh, like, like I think of um, Vade is a little bit like Squall in the beginning of Final Fantasy VIII, who was like, you know, so so ready to be part of C, so excited, you know, like I mean, it was he was kind of like he was, you know, he had like his little swag, dark, handsome demeanor going on or whatever. But um, he wanted to be part of C, and then he comes to find out, man, this organization is a shit, <laughs> and. Uh, <laughs> And then out this is kind of almost a bit like Barrett in Final Fantasy VII, who was just like, "Fuck the corporations! I'm terrible. I'm gonna, I'm gonna uh, tear it all down." So yeah, uh, to answer the question, I think this is true of most of my world building. is It's never a one to one thing. It's always uh, kind of like a, a, a little soup of different inspirations somehow made into something that hopefully tastes uh, presentable. So tell the listeners, just in case this is someone's first time listening to it, what are the different factions that we're focusing on in the world and the characters? Yeah. So the um the two big ones, the two biggest factions. I mean, I mentioned like a couple other ones um in the story, but the two big ones are the Amos More Mind Compact. They're basically like this, um like I guess neo corporatist, but in a secondary fantasy world type nation. So again, Final Fantasy. Think like Shinra is, I guess, would be like Shin. If Shinra was, if Shinra made out with America, that would be, I guess, how I would describe the Amos Morbine Compact. Yeah. Um, and then there's the Phantom Dragons. So the Phantom Dragons, they're uh, they're the rebels. They're the you know they're the people trying to fight the system, trying to tear it all down like they they don't they don't believe in in reforming a damn thing or trying to work within the system they just believe the system's got to go and uh yeah so those are the two the two main forces kind of at play yeah so i think speaking of like those two characters like how would you give someone advice on character development specifically for a novella like what was different approaching it as a novella versus say a short story and versus like a novel. So I feel like the, um, the amount of change they can go through is shorter with each subsequent form. So like, I think of like, uh, like faithful delirium, like my short story in beneath seats disguise. Like he, he's, Starts off one way and and goes through a very quick change and ends in another way. There's not really a huge journey for him. It's more like a his whole world gets flipped upside down and he changes. So it's very like stark. And um, I think with like short stories, I think you don't have a lot of room to like 
take them on a long emotional journey. Like you kind of like, you have to give that reader, if if that's the point of the story, some, some stories don't have to have that point, but if you're trying to, you know, um, take that character on that kind of emotional journey, you don't quite have as much room, I guess, in a short story. And in novella, you have a, a little more room, but not as much room as a novel. And uh, and even then, I think you have more room in a duology, or you have more room in a trilogy, right? As each subsequent kind of story, you have more room to take these characters on um, bigger emotional arcs. That they can have like longer waves, like they can have like longer valleys where nothing really changes with them, and then you know then a change happens. Where I feel like with um, a novella, it's kind of like you gotta have a you gotta have some spikes, like you gotta yeah, it can't like can't take too long to get to get to the changes. So I think that requires. Um, I think you have to be on top of like what you actually want to say and what you actually want the. Um, be really clear about like what what you want to say about the change these characters go through, and um, I think in in Necessary Chaos, I was very like concerned with. Um, I'll just take Vade for instance. I was very concerned with like breaking down his indoctrination and doing it in a way that was plausible, because uh, realistically, indoctrination is not something that gets undone in one moment. Like. We've seen that, like we see it in real life. Like you can throw facts in people's face. I, I mean, hell, we're seeing it on the news now. You have children holding other dead children on the news, begging for their lives, and that's still not enough to to shake some people out of like the indoctrination they've been given. So, in that respect, I guess for me, it was like I had to um, think of a way that I, I could do it, and you know, in the space of novella, make it still feel earned. And um, still tied into the larger themes of the uh, of the work, and I think with um with Office, his journey wasn't so much about because uh, he he's, his he pretty much stays the same ideologically. I feel like throughout the story, but his change I think was more so in in accepting what he felt, and I think that's and that was the journey I kind of took him on. And Vade had the same journey too, which kind of made his character a little interesting, trying to balance those two things. I feel like with I feel like I was I gave myself more um work with Vade than I did with Altus. But uh yeah, I think in developing them, I just had to keep in mind like what my end goal was and really like build the plot and the world to that in a way. Like I had to build the world to make sure that like it facilitated him having um a reason to be indoctrinated. I don't even know if that's a word, but yeah. Yeah, it's like being deprogrammed. Yeah. Nick? Go ahead, Nick. Bern, I'm gonna I wanna compliment you. And I know this is the weird part for you, right? Um so you're talking about building characters, building the world and stuff like that, and how to do it in a novella space. And kind of like real world viewpoint on this one you have a three-line paragraph on page 10 chapter two you're talking about the the two old lady couples right are you guys okay if i just read it sure okay i'm gonna read from page 10 this chapter two from althus's point of view he sat beside two drunk older women a couple judging by their amethyst wedding bracelets 
discussing the possibility of magic overuse tearing down the barriers between dimensions and unleashing a world host of monsters on the world. One threw up her hands with great gusto, describing the manticore swallowing children and dragons burning through the skies once again. The woman's enthusiasm reminded him of Vade when he talked about the history of candies across the world. Those three sentences just gave me 18 different things in world building just right there. And the compliment I want to give to you that I noticed throughout this book is you're using very little words as possible to build great things. You just built the fact in that set in a sentence, not even a sentence, that magic can be overused and break the realms and unleash hell on everybody. And this old lady is so excited for it that it reminds him of Vade who gets excited about candy in the history of candy so i'm getting world building i'm getting society i'm getting how alpha sees the things i'm getting vague character building and i think that's that's kind of like the takeaway on this with the novella for me is like you're so good at world building that i don't think you realize how good you do it with the amount of words that you use and how you use those words is that something that like you focused on and like really thought about when you're coming into these? Like, or is this just a natural style for you? No, I I do. I mean, I do think about this stuff, especially in um editing. I, I I will say somewhat too when I'm drafting, I do like to try to like, I don't know. I I want as much as possible. I want people to feel like this isn't my world. Like, I, I want people to feel that because like, if there is one. One thing I, I don't like to read normally, especially when it gets marketed to me the wrong way, is like something that is supposed to be a secondary world fantasy and it feels like historical fiction, but the person just didn't want to do research. And I'm like, this feels just like this feels just like my world. Like I, if I wanted that, I'd go track something down. Like I, I want I want I want things to be um, I want to feel like I'm being transported someplace else. I want to feel like this. Not necessarily is implausible, but I, I just I just want to feel like I'm in a different world, and I think with that, so w- there's um I don't know where I learned this. I think it was in college, or it, maybe it was in some from someone's online thread or something. But they were like, every paragraph should be trying to do at least two things. If it can do more than two things, great. But you should always be trying to aim for two things. So with that particular paragraph that you pointed out. I actually am kind of happy that when you read it out loud, I was like, oh, yeah, I did. Um, I did kind of like put a bunch in there because not only, like you said, is it talking about like, you know, the fact that magic is is uh, seen as a normal, regular thing in this world. It also you also kind of get the idea that this world is queer normative because he sees these two women that are married, doesn't think twice about it. Um, you also get that, you know, uh, like you said, it. Um, Vade has an interest besides being a killer, so it kind of it kind of hum- it kind of helps to humanize him in a way that he's interested in is something as like as silly as candy. So um, yeah, so I always try to keep that in mind, especially when I'm going through editing, and it, and it's not a hundred percent rule; it's just something I, I kind of try to keep in mind. I always try to make sure that like I'm tr- getting as much across as I can in as little space as possible, just because I think it it um. Yeah, it just kind of adds. I think it adds a, a a richness to the writing, especially when you're doing secondary world stuff. 
which is kind of my, I feel like it's my bread and butter. So, yeah. Brent, I'm going to quote you on that, and I'm going to throw it up on socials. Every paragraph should be doing two things. I loved it. Sorry <laughs> for the overly complimentative post here. Um, So I want to ask you, since we're talking about characters, uh, and I think, I think it's interesting because as writers, we have to like our characters, but we also want our readers to like our characters. So people may not have read this. We haven't dived too much into spoilers too much, but I kind of am curious, what do you like about the two main characters? What do you want the reader to like about them or identify with uh, in how they are? Um, And is there something that you would change? So what I like about the both of them, and I'll break down, I guess, individual. Like, I like that they both have this core of integrity about themselves. Even though they're on they're on opposite sides, they both start off very much believing that, you know, that they're doing the right thing and that they're that there's um that what they're that they're on the right path. And what I like about Vade as an individual is that he is uh he's willing to change like he's willing to see what's in front of him and and sincerely try to make a change based on it um what i like about out this is that he's willing to let him change right cuz like sometimes like you know when um you people can actually change and there can be people who knew the old version of them and they just refuse to see refuse to see the change they won't allow it they won't allow that change to come into their worldview so i i i think they're both really adaptive characters so um i i yeah i do like that about them uh so we talked a lot about world building but can we talk about the magic of world building of like how does that how did you think of that the magic system or just the magic itself in the world. Like, how did that come about? Was that something you do on your first layer that you think about? Did you overly think it? Like, how do you world build that magic into the this particular story? So in this particular story, I thought of the two voice first. Like, first and foremost, like when I, um, so I had like the initial scene that I had in my head came from that R&B song. I think I've mentioned it before. And I just saw these two characters who were like, you know, kind of like in this like sexy kind of scene, but they're trying to kill each other at the same time. And then I was thinking like, okay, how are they trying to kill each other? And then um, I was like, okay, so it's got to be in a way that, you know, they, that someone doesn't understand. That's what I was thinking. And then somehow along the way, that kind of like took me down the rabbit hole of theme. And I, and I thought I think about symbolism and I was like, Oh well, this could be a um, this could be a stand-in for code switching, and you know, and um, and so two voice came out of that. So for this particular story, that that magic came up first, and then I kind of you know started connecting that to okay, well, is this uh, is this magic a natural thing? Is it something that you know has always been here? And then I was like, well, if I'm gonna have this, if I'm gonna have this like stand in kind of for America and they're like, you know, weaponizing magic. I was like, let's treat it almost like they're mining it. Like they like treat it like how they do oil. And then I was like, oh, another dimension. Let's, you know, so it kind of like, 
it, it was like sort of like um, breadcrumbs along the way. And I would just, you know, take the time to think about it and, and build on that. Like, this is actually one of the, I think, one of the first stories where I've ever actually, like, built the magic to theme before I even drafted it. Normally, like, those changes happen for me in, like, editing. But this one I kind of knew up front. I was like, yeah, I definitely want this to be a stand-in for, like, code switching. And then there's some other magics, too. So I guess with, like, each of the dimensions, they all kind of describe something that fuels capitalism as we know it. And that's, like, um, uh, war, blight, disease, pestilence. I mean, all these things. I mean, we always talk about the four horsemen, but, hell, the four horsemen fuel capitalism, <laughs> death, disease, war, famine. All these things fuel capitalism as is, like. Well, we we people have plenty because some people have nothing, and um, yeah. yeah, so that all kind of came into play for me. I have a question about going back to character really quick. Um, I don't know if we touched on this in the first time we chatted, but um, I really was really intrigued by a lot of the side characters, or not, you know, the characters outside of Althus and um, Vade. But I'm I'm curious which ones. Did you have the most, maybe the most fun writing or the ones that you want to maybe revisit or ones that you want to throw at maybe someone who hasn't read it yet just to intrigue them a little bit? Because there's some there's some colorful characters in the background of this of this book and I love them. Yeah. So um, when I was drafting. Carmola like was totally like my fave when I was drafting. Like I was like, oh, she's so badass. Like I'm really into her. Like she's like she's this take charge character. So I guess I, I can tell y'all this. So because this is in earlier drafts, and thank God Dave talked me out of it. But um, <laughs> in earlier drafts, um, Carmola and Desiree were the same person, and like they were pulling the strings from both ends, and they were like trying to like you know, cause, just cause war to like position themselves to be in charge or whatever, which was interesting enough, but I was glad Dave was kind of like, nah, let's make them separate. So, um, yeah, in earlier drafts, Carmola was like, uh, was my favorite. Um, as I did more revision and dug in a little more, Sajime kind of became my favorite. I like, I like that. <laughs> like her friendship with, uh, her friendship with Althus really kind of became like something that was a lot of fun to write. And, uh, yeah, and I actually, if I was to write a prequel, I would totally, like, write a Sajime prequel, if I, if that ever was to be a possibility, because I have an idea, but, yeah. Uh, Desiree was fun, too. Desiree's fun. Um, she, her role kind of diminished a little bit in um, later drafts, but in earlier drafts, she definitely, she had a little more to say, but she was fun. She was cool. Um, <laughs> the demon was actually kind of cool too. He was like, I just, yeah, I, I just like was mean as hell with him. I was just like, what, what's the meanest <laughs> thing I can say right now? And I'm just going to go with it. So, <laughs> well, well, I mean, speaking of like writing more in the world as of right now, which is November 14th, you're already going into a second printing of it. So that's amazing. Congratulations. Woo! and does that mean maybe maybe we'll get another one i mean i i wouldn't i would not say no like the thing is it's all uh business stuff i guess i just 
guess that that would really be like the crux of it. Do I have a story? I I do now. Like I, I it finally like one finally came to me um like two weeks ago actually. It came to me while I was in Europe and I was like, oh, that's what I would do if it was a sequel. And I think I can I can tell you one thing out of it without it being spoilery because who knows? This may not even survive. But if I was to do a sequel, it would definitely be with them being like an older. It would they would be older for sure. Like I would because I, I feel like I always try to like be intentional, right? And I'm like, how many science fiction stories have you seen with a middle aged happy black gay couple in it? And I was like, so that would be the start. That would be the start of it, and then. I'll just leave it at that, but I definitely have an idea of like where I would where I would go. That's awesome, Nick. So this might be a little personal. Um, our last episode with you discussing this, we did talk about the emotional capacity and kind of like this was a very hard novella for you to write. Coming off of like, do you have more the like more stories to share, more things like that? I'm gonna ask, do you have more in the tank emotionally to write this these characters again? Yes, I think actually I'm in um I'm in a much, much better headspace to do it. And I think I could do it without I think I could do it without nearly as much like pulling teeth as it was for the first, the first go-around, just because and and this is kind of like the beauty of like I think writing sometimes is like when you do it right it you, you come out of it like different and um I definitely came out of this different and I think uh yeah I mean every story is going to require something of you it, it, in in some way shape or form whether that's time emotion uh physical energy, whatever. It's going to always require something of you. So I won't, I won't sit here and say it'd be a, a walk in the park. Cause especially the idea that like I'm thinking of is definitely going to pull from a whole nother emotional place. Right. But I, I think, uh, I think this was the, I think necessary chaos was worth it. And I think anything else I decided to do in that world would be worth it. But yeah. So just to kind of like, I guess, give a little hint of what either one would be. If it was a Sajime project, it definitely would be dealing with um, the prison industrial complex. That's what I would say if I was doing the Sajime one. If I was if it, if I was to do the sequel one, it's going to be dealing with um, being in an occupied state. So uh, those would be yeah. I'm just gonna throw the plug in there. Brent says he's got ideas. He's available. He can do it. So if you guys <laughs> want to pick this up, Anchor Robot, uh, Neon Hemlock, uh, you know Apex Magazine, let's go ahead and just get this ball rolling and get us more of this great world. Yeah, well, I think with the way rights work, it'd have to be Neon Hemlock. But <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say, I think Neon's yeah. got to keep that, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think they got to lock on these characters a bit. Dave, I know you're listening. So on that note. Um, since Dave is listening, Brent, since we're talking about writing in this world, I'm curious if you were to keep writing in this world, what's going to keep you writing in the, what's going to just keep you writing in this world? So it would be figuring out the other governments. Like if I was to do a, a sequel or even a prequel, it would definitely be touching on the other two major empires. Like I feel like, 
for now, I, I, I said what I need to say with the Amos Cor- uh, Morbon Compact, but I would want to see like what happens in the ruins of the other two empires, like because because that's that that is one thing I can promise anybody who's like, what would he do in the sequel? All these governments got screwed at the end, so that's totally a huge power vacuum. I'm not going like cheapen the end of the story by making it seem like they what they did was for nothing. Like, no, what they did had a, had an impact. So that would be my thing: figuring out what this world looks like in the ashes of these three governments all falling. All right, I love it. Thanks again for coming on and, and kind of discussing this. As a reminder, this is part two of a four-part series that we're going to do with Brent. So if you guys have liked this, there's two more episodes coming out right now. If you haven't picked up the novella, you can pre- pick it up on the second print as well. So jump on to Neon Hemlock and go ahead and get your copy today. And we look forward to discussing this at least two more times with you, Brent. Thanks, man. Awesome. Looking forward to it. And this has been Just Keep Writing, a podcast for writers, by writers, to keep you writing. You can find us at justkeepwriting.org. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. Feel free to reach out to any of us on our social medias, and please jump in our Just Keep Writing Discord channel. Links to all of that is in the show notes. Lastly, please support our show by going to patreon.com slash justkeepwriting. We offer daily writing prompts, early access to podcast episodes, and much more. Thanks for listening, and just keep writing. (laughs) 